Um, we're in our, our series about uh, the beginning of a movement, and we're kind of looking at the way, the church. And we're going to talk tonight about, you know, moving towards the Gentiles. And so I'm going to share some preliminary stuff first before I come to Acts chapter 8. And so one of the things that um, I think we need to be aware of is that God's plan, <laughs> what, the, the world we see today, the age we see today, the, the church and, and people coming to Christ, was not an afterthought. It has always been God's plan to point to Jesus. There are different views sometimes of, of things. Um, there's different theological thoughts uh, that see that Israel failed God, and so he, you know, they didn't come to Christ, and so he brought the Gentiles, and you know, whatever, and people have different views. And we're going to see tonight that God has always had not just Gentiles, but all people in mind. If, if, when you come to the book of Genesis, and you come to chapter 11, and there's all that sin, and at the Tower of Babel, he judges them with languages, and they disperse. When you come to chapter 12, he picks this guy named Abraham, or Abram, as he's called in. There was no reason for God to pick Abram, except God chose to pick Abram. It's purely his doing. And so he tells Abram, and he's chosen him, he's going to give him a land. He says, you will become a great nation. We understand that to be Israel. But then he says that all the nations of the world will be blessed. And whenever the word nation is used, almost, almost every time. It refers to a culture, a people group. In the Greek, it's ethnos, uh, ethnic, people group. But even in the Old Testament, it's not geopolitical nations. Though oftentimes in the Old Testament, geopolitical nations were homogenous ethnic groups. But always, 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 all the people of the world, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That clearly points to Jesus. We understand that. But he chose a special group of people to be the avenue for which his plan to save all people or have the opportunity for all people to come to salvation would be implemented, and that is Israel, or the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. Uh, and so that was the way he did it. And one of the things, and you read in the Old Testament, that you see about God, is he told Israel to separate itself out. See, the world was pagan. So has been pagan. The world without God's intervention will always drift towards paganism. Once sin entered the world, men create their own gods and goddesses. And that's where they drift to. It's true today. So he wanted Israel to be a separate people, to be a holy people. He did certain things to mark them out as holy. The purpose of that wasn't for isolation and seclusion. The purpose of that was to make them holy and to make them effective in his purpose of redeeming mankind, always to the view of Christ. And the large part of what he was trying to do, this seems strange, but the uniqueness of Israel in a pagan world would attract people to Israel or to God through Israel. Their uniqueness was supposed to be the drawing card that gave them opportunities to help non-Israelites come worship God. Well, they failed miserably because they became just like the pagans. So, to make a long, hundreds of years story short, God sent them all in exile. And then, he brought some back, and we see that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, to kind of begin again a little bit. And uh, the book of Malachi ends about 400 years, 430 years before Jesus, and, and Israel's just this very weak nation. When you come to the New Testament, Rome rules the world. 
Israel uh, is now the people of the Jews. And Judaism has become a very strict, monotheistic, harsh, and somewhat judgmental religious system. I talked about this at length last fall. But to the Jews, Gentiles were to be hated. They despised them. They did not seek to reach, reach them. Now, a Gentile, because it says so in the Old Testament, their scriptures, could become a follower of God. So they gave them the opportunity to become basically proselytes, or we might say to some degree God-fearers. People who wanted to worship one true God and do it the way that it was written in scripture. Were people as Gentiles who were God-fearers, and they could become basically proselytes into the Jewish religion. But they only had limitations. They could only become so far. There was a point to which they could not go because only Jews could go in the faith. When we come to the New Testament, we begin to encounter people like that. We begin to encounter Gentiles who follow God. The very first ones we encounter are in the Christmas story, the Magi. The the Magi were monotheists who had some understanding of the scriptures from Persia, most likely as a result of what we see in Daniel and those guys. And so you you see these groups of people. You see in the encounters how that happened. Well, Jesus, in his great commission, gives a command to make disciples. And he says, go, make disciples of all nations. That is, ethnic groups, people groups, cultures, including the Gentiles. In Acts 1-8, as we saw not too long ago, and as we've seen many times, he says, you will be my witnesses. You'll start in Jerusalem. Then you'll go to Judea. Then you go to Samaria, and then you'll go to the rest of the world. The Gentiles. That's always been the plan. It's never a secondary plan. It's never, I got plan A. If that don't work, we'll go to plan B. There is no plan B. It's the plan that's always been there. People who create a kind of plan B are just flat wrong. And I don't know how else to say it. And if that bothers you, you should, because you're wrong. And if you being wrong bothers you, good. Quit being wrong. Same thing you tell your kids. If you're wrong, don't be wrong. If we're, I, there are times in my spiritual life I've been wrong. There are things that I have believed I was wrong. You know what I had to do? I had to change what I believe to fit what God tells me. I say this all the time. If what you believe and what the scriptures say and God says don't add up, they don't agree. God's not wrong. The idea that the salvation of Gentiles is secondary is biblically wrong. We need to know that. It's important. So we come to the book of Acts. And we do what we're supposed to do. Or we see what we're supposed to do and what they're supposed to do. They start off bringing people to Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes as we saw. And Jews who were Greek in their culture are there to worship at Pentecost, and they get saved. And so you have Jews coming to Christ who are Hebraic, or who have the Hebrew culture, and Jews coming to Christ who are from a more Greek culture. Not Gentile, but Greek. They're devout, just as devout. They're all devout Jews. We see in Acts chapter 6, as the church begins to grow, a problem arises. Evidently, in helping feed people, especially some of the widows in the church. The Greek-speaking folks who, or the Greek culture folks who were followers of Christ, 
seem to have a sensitivity that the Hebrew culture folks were getting more food or more care, more ministry. The apostles were doing the best they could, but they were doing everything. There are no preachers. There are no pastors yet. They're just apostles. There is no church structure yet. There's just apostles. They're playing this by ear. This is all chaos. They're making this up as they go. You understand? They're making this up as they go, led by the Holy Spirit. So they come up with this idea. They say, we'll set aside seven guys, seven Christian men from the Greek culture to take care of that so we can devote ourselves to the breaking into prayer and, and, and to preaching the word. Now, I've said this before, we oftentimes think that's where we get our deacons from. It's not where you get deacons from. And I've said this many times, I'm adamant. The word deacon isn't used. The, the verbal form of deacon, diakonoi, diakoneo is used to serve. Serve the people, give the people food. It's all that's used. The reason we know these weren't deacons is because there was no church structure. Church structure didn't come into existence for many, many years. In fact, probably it's going to be 20 years before there's actually some sense of formal church structure. I mean, there's some, but there's not to organization. When you come to 2 Timothy, and he's talking about pastors or overseers and deacons, 30 years have passed. 30 years. There's structure. There is no structure. And this is what's amazing. In Acts chapter 8, verse one persecution comes. I preached about this not too long ago. And it says then in verse 4, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. So what happened is in verse 8, chapter 8, verse 2, persecution, I mean, uh, uh, verse 1, persecution began against church Jerusalem and they were all scattered. Verse 4 says, therefore, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. Who was scattered? The Greek culture Jews, including the seven guys in chapter 6. How do we know this? Because we're going to talk about one named Philip. Two of those seven guys, Stephen and Philip, we know something about. Stephen in chapter 7 is killed. Philip in chapter 8 is an evangelist. If you are going to take chapter 6 to be the foundation for deacons, then here's what you need to know. There are three things that deacons do. Number one, they minister and they serve the needs of people. Two, they evangelize folks. Period. You've got to be evangelists. And three, they die for the faith. So, you don't have to do that. What I'm saying is, understand the context. That's important because Philip isn't doing the things he did in chapter 6 anymore. Because all of those Greek-speaking Jewish Christians have scattered. So we pick up Philip. Coming to a critical point. In verse 25, after the, some stuff that happened that was really cool with Philip, he was doing some ministry and all that. So they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They started back to Jerusalem. And were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So the Samaritans are being reached. Chapter 8, so verse, uh, verse 26, chapter 8. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is a desert road. So it's going to go down from Jerusalem down towards the Mediterranean Sea. So Philip, the guy from chapter 6, got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
Now, the Ethiopian eunuch, first place, being from Ethiopia, he was, he was black. I was going to say he was African-American, but he was actually African-African. But he, he, was, he was black. He was of that culture. He was a high-ranking official. Eunuchs, it's always amazing how we try to get around what eunuchs were. Eunuchs are, or were, what we think they were. They were castrated. Here's the interesting fact. We know in the Old Testament that anyone who was castrated could not become a full proselyte or God-fearer from among the Gentiles. He was severely limited in what he could do in the Jewish faith. Very limited. He worked for the queen mother. Ethiopia is not our Ethiopia. It's more along the area of Egypt. The queen mother did a lot of the ruling on behalf of the king who was seen as a god. Candace was in charge of some things. He was in charge of the treasury for Candace. He went to Jerusalem to worship, even though he couldn't go very far to worship. He was this kind of devotion to God. He was attracted to God. He wanted to know more about God. He was attracted to the scriptures because he was reading it. Here's what we see. He was returning, sitting in his chair, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We're going to see more about that in a minute. So he's reading the word of God in his chariot. Remember, the only word of God they had back at this point was what we call the Old Testament. They didn't have anything else. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go and join his chariot. So he was moved by the Spirit. Always, always, always remember this. While the Spirit does not verbally speak to us anymore, I hope you don't think he verbally talks to you, he still always leads us. And he leads us to people who need Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Just sit back one day, some, maybe on Saturday, reflect on your week. How many people who do not know Jesus did the Spirit of God lead to you in some way, shape, form, or fashion? Now, I'm not saying you had to go tell all of them about Jesus. I'm just saying when we talk about, we really don't, when people say, you know, I don't really have any opportunities to share my faith with folks. Sure you do. You have lots of them. Just pick one. Pick one. Go with it. So, he was... Told to go in the chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? No, he didn't ask that question. We always, I always want to ask. Here's what he said. Notice what he said. Do you understand what you're reading? At the heart of our sharing of the faith is to help people understand the simple truth of the word of God. For us, it's primarily the New Testament. I don't focus with people who are lost unless they're reading something in the Old Testament. I don't focus there. I'll get the questions a lot of times. Tell me, explain this to me. I'm like, oh, great. I can't wait. I'd much rather explain to them the gospel. People need to understand. So don't, I said a few weeks ago, I preached about change. Don't make it difficult for people to come to Christ. Just explain what gospel is. Well, they didn't have the gospel to explain. They had Isaiah. It's a whole lot more complicated. So he said, do you understand? He said, how could I? Unless someone guides me. I've read Isaiah a few times. I get that. It's hard to understand. That's 66 chapters. It is written mostly in poetry. I don't get poetry. I understand a couple of limericks, and that's it. So here's the passage of Scripture which he was reading. 
It's taken from Isaiah 53. I'm going to read this to you, then we're going to go to Isaiah. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shear is silent, he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. He will relate his, gen- his generation, for his life is removed from the earth. By the way, they were reading from the Septuagint. Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. They were reading the Bible in a language they understood. So I get asked a lot, and I get it, and I understand it. Why don't you know, I do the King James? Because I want to reach people who are lost, and they have a hard time understanding the King James English. I have a hard time understanding the King James English. They use words that I don't, I don't use in my vocabulary. A lot of words end in TH. It's hard. It's beautiful. It's poetic. It's, it's, it's a wonderful translation. Got no issue with it. You read the King James, I'm cool. About, uh, what was it, six months ago, Troy, seven months ago? I had a guy who's coming here just rip all over me for not using the King James. You know, and he said some things and left. And that's fine. I, I got no issue with that. Well, actually, I, I do have an issue with that. I don't have an issue that he got mad at me and left. But I, I just have this thing that <laughs> I want people to understand the Word of God more than I want to use a particular version of anything. I use the New American Standard because it is the best English translation of the best Greek text in Hebrew texts. But a lot of times, I'll use other translations. I thought Sunday about losing the New Living Translation to do the Lord's uh, Prayer, but that might freak you out a little bit. So go to Isaiah, but we're going to read it in English from the Hebrew instead of the Greek. Why do I tell you that? Because it looks different a little bit. But I'm not going to, there's a, so when you read it, so whenever you read something in the New Testament that is from the Old Testament and you go to the Old Testament passage and it doesn't read the same, that's because I would say most of what is in the New Testament from the Old is translated from the Septuagint. So it's a little bit different text. So in Isaiah chapter 52 beginning with verse 13. I'm not going to read all this. Through the end of chapter 53 is the major, what we call, suffering servant passage of Isaiah. Isaiah, brilliant prophet. So I don't have time to go anything. He is co- contemplating the situation of Israel in the 700s B.C. He sees the destruction that is coming. And he is looking forward to a time when things will be different. Does he understand everything? Probably not. But he's looking forward to something. And in the midst of him seeing God answer, he has this understanding of a servant that will one day come about that will suffer. We know that to be Jesus. So what he says then, in verse 5, 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, chastened for our well-being, fell upon him. And by his scourging we were healed, and all us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, to the Lord has caused iniquity of us all to fall on him. Then he talked in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears. He did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. So that was the area he was reading from. But there's an interesting thing in Isaiah. If you turn over to chapter 55, look what this Jewish of Jewish prophets said. Now, excuse me, let me go to verse um, 5. Of chapter 55. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the righteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him. And to our God. And he will abundantly pardon. He's talking about salvation, people. Now, look at chapter 56. Go down to verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath... And choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. And a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. This is not through the nation Israel. Because the eunuchs weren't allowed to be a part of that. This is through Jesus. Now why am I saying this to you? Because... Philip is now coming to really the first true Gentile of Gentiles. This is the first, in Acts, the first Gentile before Peter in Acts 10, before Paul comes along in Acts 13. He reads this to him. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He probably preached all of that. They're riding in a chariot. they got a long way to go. They have all the time in the world. They went along the road and came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, so obviously, Philip had talked to him from the gospel and explained to him, you need to be baptized once you come to Jesus. Okay? Now, you probably have verse 37 in parenthesis or footnoted at the bottom Because that verse is not in the oldest and best Greek text. Most likely, it was taken from an early church um, kind of baptismal formula and probably was written in the margins. What would happen a lot of times is copyists, as they translated, would write some notes in the margin. You ever write notes in the margin of your Bible? Y'all do that still? Now y'all have smart devices. Yeah, you have it because you're smart. So So you can't do it. There's a lost, the younger generation does not know how to write notes in the Bible. But 
If you did that, you can imagine someone coming along later, they might accidentally put that in there. And that's all that happened. There's nothing wrong with that. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, and answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. That's true. Absolutely. It's good stuff. So he ordered the chariot to stop, and they went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Let me just talk about baptism. This is a great passage for Baptists. Because there's a lot of folks that think all you got to do to be baptized is be sprinkled or dipped. And they come to this passage and it's tough. And so they try to explain how, well, this is really not that important. It doesn't mean, it was probably just a little pond, a little puddle, and they just dipped some water. Most likely it was a stream of wadi. But they went down into the water. The Greek word into is a word of movement. That means you were out of it and you went in it. It didn't just say they went in the water into, they went down into the water. Now, I'm going to tell you, it don't take a lot of water to baptize someone. You need about, you know, this much. And trust me, you can get them all the way under. I've done it. You just sometimes, you, you have to use a little force. Get under there. You can get them under if you want to bad enough. The word baptism is a, a rather violent word at times. It means to plunge. It can simply mean to, to dip into but it normally speaks of going in. So notice a couple things. Baptism follows salvation. And baptism is, violent. No, baptism is a covering of water. Now I don't want to get, I don't like getting into battles with folks from other denominations about it. I, I, listen, if you don't want to believe it, that's fine. I, it doesn't, it isn't affecting me. It doesn't affect me a lick. But we baptize by immersion. And we expect people who are followers of Jesus to be baptized as believers by immersion. If you don't want to, that's fine. You're welcome here. We love you. You, all, you can come all the time. You can coat everything we do. You can give all the money you want to give. In fact, if you don't, we'll actually take the money, put it in a plastic bag, put it in the water, and baptize it for you. <laughs> but if you want to be a formal member of our church, after you become a believer... We want you to be baptized. You don't have to be baptized here. You need to be baptized by a church with the like beliefs. So either Baptist, Southern Baptist, Evangelical, non-denominational, somebody that believes that baptism is, is like we believe. We're not picky. You don't even have to be done by a pastor. You can have a lay person baptize you. It's not as effective, but it's okay. Verse 39 says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him. He went on his way rejoicing. Now, people try to explain that away. I I just think it means the spirit got a hold of him, and off he went. I don't know how to put it any other way. It doesn't mean he just disappeared. I I don't know. It just means he took him. I don't try to figure it out. Philip found himself at Asitas. And as he passed through, he kept, look at this, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Peter wasn't the first to preach to the Gentile. Peter went to the home of the Gentile. I preached that about four weeks ago. Philip wasn't, I mean, Paul wasn't the first to preach to Gentiles. Paul wasn't even the first to go to city to city. No, he did it on a, on a different scale. He went to Europe. Philip, the evangelist, did it. Now, why is this important? Because... This now, Luke tells us, begins the fulfilling of that part 
of the Lord's command to be witnesses to all the nations. I preached it a few weeks ago. What Peter did, critical. That, that is monumentally important for the Jews in accepting Gentiles. Paul, absolutely. What James did, you know, in, in Acts 15, critical for the Jews in accepting Gentiles. But here's the thing, as I told you with Paul. The Jews were going to reject Jesus on the whole. By the time you get to 70 AD and Jerusalem's destroyed and Judaism is destroyed, there aren't a lot of Jewish Christians, especially in Jerusalem. They're in other parts of the, world, of the country, of the world, yeah. In some of the cities, Paul went to, yeah, there are a few, there are not many. Christianity is predominantly Gentile. And what does we see in this passage? You preach the gospel when they come to faith baptized this is our philosophically historically as Baptists so I don't always talk about being Baptist but on Wednesday nights I'm more inclined to talk about being Baptist we are Baptist we are Southern Baptist I'm not ashamed of it I have no issues with it I get asked that sometimes we're Southern Baptist Church anybody's welcome to come we don't care what denomination you came from we're not trying to make you Baptist we don't care if you never become Baptist it doesn't matter to me if you ever become a Baptist it's just who we are. And this is how we do things. This is how our church does things. We preach the gospel from the scriptures. So that you might come to faith in Jesus. And then we want to baptize you as a demonstration of your faith. Because this is how it was done. And this is what we do. And so here's the cool thing. This is almost singularly our focus of what we try to accomplish. Share the gospel of Jesus from the scriptures. And we talk about a lot of stuff. We don't always preach the gospel. You know, I didn't technically preach the gospel last week. I preached about prayer. You know, and my next sermon's not about the gospel. In fact, it's from Genesis about um, the image of God. And I'm going <laughs> to address all this fun stuff about, in our culture today about being male and female and what that means. So uh, i, I got to figure that out. Well, I'm going to do all that. So that's not, but what we're doing is we preach the scriptures. And we preach the good news. Because everything in the scriptures, just what? It points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. So that doesn't mean everything in the Old Testament that you baptize it as a church and make it about Jesus. When I, so when I talk about stuff about Jonah, or I talk about David, or I preach about, you know, the judges. I'm not trying to make it about Jesus. But all of it somehow, some way, points towards the need for Jesus. So when they, all they had back then was the Old Testament. And they used the Old Testament to say, hey, you need Jesus. Now, we probably don't use the New Testament, but this is a philosophy. If our church is going to reach lost people, whoever they may be, in whatever culture they come from, the only way we're going to be successful is if we take the New Testament and the Old Testament, but we take the Scriptures, New Testament, talk about Jesus, encourage them to come to Christ, and when they come to Christ, we baptize them. And we don't baptize them 
before they come to Jesus. And we don't sprinkle them because that ain't salvation. So, all right. So, that's all I got to say about that. So, it's only 701. So, I'll let you ask some questions. And I'll do my best to answer them, if at all possible, in a timely and honest way. Anybody got a question? Well, y'all, y'all want to ask questions all year. I like this. You're starting off great. All right. Well, I'll uh, see you later.